Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. We are getting back into our series called Level Up. If you want to turn to Psalm 148, that's where we're going to be this morning. And if you need a copy of God's Word, just lift up your hand. Our Connect team would love to get you a copy of God's Word. If you're new to the Bible, if you kind of just open right there in the middle, you are probably going to find the Psalms, and Psalm 148 is near the very end of those Psalms. We've been in this series called Level Up, and what we've been talking about in this series is that when you level up your praise, you level up your life. And part of the reason we've been talking about that is because we have been created by God to worship. It's what He has called us to do. It's what He has created us to do. And so if we are to do what He tells us to do, what that leads to is the life that He wants for us. And so what we've been doing in this series, it's five weeks long, and we're looking at Psalm 146 through Psalm 150. Those psalms are called the Hallel Psalms because they all begin and end with what? Everybody? There we go. So when I read in the text, praise the Lord, you say what? When I say praise the Lord, you say what? Okay, I just want to make sure we got it. What we're talking about today from Psalm 148 is leveling up our wonder. Now, many of us are thinking about vacation, right? My wife just got her passport the other day, and we are preparing for our 15th wedding anniversary in Cabo. I'm just telling you, you're not going to find me. You're not going to hear from me. I'm not answering an email. I'm not doing anything but laying on the beach next to Rachel watching the water. That is it, right? This beautiful scenery. Yeah, hallelujah, right? I want you to think about some of those moments maybe in your own life when you saw some beautiful vista whether you were at the beach or you were in the mountains, right? What that vista did for you. A few, uh, almost a little over a year ago, in the middle of COVID, one of the things that I did that I have since stopped is I went running. I got real, I had a lot of time, right? And I got real bored and I'm like, well, I've got running shoes. Why don't I go for a run? I don't do that anymore. But one day I live right by uh, the Lakefront Arena, and one of the things that I would do is I would run around the lakefront arena and I would hit the lakefront and come back home. And one morning as I was running, this is like right at the top of the levee. And at this point, I had run about a mile and a half. And, you know, after a mile and a half, you got to walk a little bit. So I, I paused and I started to walk and I looked up and I saw this beautiful sunrise over the lake. And I took this picture to remind myself of just how beautiful this creation is, how wonderful it is. Whether it's a, a, a view like this, or again, you're at the beach, or you're in the mountains, all of these types of scenes point us to something. Their beauty points us to something, or what I want you to understand today, someone that is ultimately beyond us. 
And what the psalmist does in Psalm 148 is he wants us to recognize the kind of wonder that we're to have when we look out at creation. And that wonder should lead us to praise and to worship. So let's take a look at Psalm 148 and see what the psalmist has to tell us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all of His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded and they were created and He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures. Thank you, we missed that one. Praise the Lord. There we go. Thanks for keeping us honest. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all the peoples, prince and all the rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people. Praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Praise the Lord." What do we learn from Psalm 148? Two simple truths, I think, this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, the heavens praise the Lord. For, from verse 1 to verse 6, you read some things that in our modern day might seem a little odd. Where the psalmist is saying, look at all of creation the sun, the stars, the moon, the water, all of it worships the Lord. And we're kind of like, but how can these things worship the Lord? Now, hopefully when you read Psalm 148, you got to thinking about a similar passage. Genesis chapter 1. Much of the language in Psalm 148 mirrors Genesis chapter 1 as it talks about creation. You read Genesis 1, I want you just to see kind of a pattern of how creation is described. It talks about the inhabitants and the location. So day 1, it talks about light and darkness being created. And it mirrors that in day 4 with the sun, the moon, and the stars being created. Day 2, the sky and the sea are created. Then day five, the fish and the birds are created to fill those spaces. Day three, the land is created. And then we see that the land animals and ultimately all of creation culminates with humanity being created. And the very last day, day seven, is a day of rest and a day of enjoyment. See, the psalmist is picking up this language from Genesis 1 to say, listen, you know how the Lord has described His creation. And what I'm simply saying is that as God created, now all of His creation comes together and worships Him. In these first six verses, it says that the angels praise the Lord. It says the heavenly lights 
So again, think about the sun, the moon, the stars, all of those things. Praise the Lord. Tonight, I'm not sure exactly when, but for like three or four hours tonight, there's a lunar eclipse. I don't know if you know that. Look it up. As the moon does its thing tonight, it praises the Lord. And then it says that the waters above the heavens praise the Lord. The ancient world, they understood creation a little bit differently. This was an ancient cosmology where the world was kind of like a dome. And there was water beneath us, and at the same time, there was water above us. And they thought about that in light of like the clouds, and that when the clouds come, what do the clouds produce? Rain. And so what the psalmist is getting at is that all of this creation that God created praises him, worships him. And in verses 5 and 6, it gets to this answer of why are the heavens to praise the Lord? Go back and look at verses 5 through 6. And look at what the psalmist says. It says, for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Listen, regardless of how you understand creation coming into being, what the scriptures are clear about is that it is God who creates. He is the one who created all of creation. You and I, everything that we see, that initial creation, and even today as creation sustains, God is the one creating and sustaining all of creation everything. Now also what I want you to see in this passage is how God is distinct from his creation. This is so important for you and I because there is this reality that God, this transcendent being, is intimately connected and involved in creation. That should be awe-inspiring in and of itself. That the God of the universe, the creator God, is close and near to us. But at the same time, he is transcendent. He is distinct from creation. In theological language, we talk about things like pantheism or panentheism. I don't know if you're familiar with that language. Pantheism says that everything is God and God is everything. That is not biblically accurate. Because what it does is it, it intermeshes and gets mixed together creation and God when in fact they're called to be distinct. Panentheism says that God is present with everything. And again, what it does is it mixes up these ideas that yes, God is intimately involved in creation, but he is still distinct from creation. Which is why all of creation praises the Lord. Creation praises the Creator because it reveals the Creator. Something that was written uh, uh, almost a little over 100 years ago. There was a, a guy named William Paley and he talked about this watchmaker analogy. He said this, imagine you're walking through a forest and we'll kind of modernize the illustration for you. You're walking through the forest, and you happen upon an eye watch. And you think to yourself, I wonder how that eye watch got there. Because you know 
that someone didn't just plant an iWatch seed and the iWatch seed sprouted and grew, right? You know that's not true. That someone, you look at that watch, it's technologically advanced and someone had to have created the watch and at the same time had to have placed the watch in creation. And what Paley would make the argument is that when we look at creation and we see the kind of design with which God has created everything, we can't help but say there has to be a grand designer. There has to be someone who created all of this with all of its intricacies. You know, often when I'm on Twitter, there's few things that I can like celebrate about humanity, right? But lately, this, this past week, I noticed that people were posting about this incredible microscopic picture of a cell. Did anybody else see this? I want to show you a picture of it. This is the closest image we have ever gotten of a human cell. Is it not incredible? Like, look at all the colors and all of the intricacies. And, and just to think about this cell and that every single thing in this picture has a function. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you. You could make the argument, people do, that all of this happened by chance. But when I look at this picture and when I look at all of creation, I tell myself there has to be some designer. That none of this could have just happened by accident. Which is again why the psalmist, when he looks out at all of creation, he says, look at the sun and the moon and the stars. Look at the waters in the sea. Look at the waters in the heavens. All of them praise the Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. He's setting up his whole argument for his letter and talking about God. And he says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them. And them meaning all of us, humanity. It's plain to them because what? God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is the things that we can't see, that make God God. Namely, His what? Everybody say it. Eternal power and His what? Divine nature. They have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, we, we are without excuse. What Paul is getting at, what I think the psalmist is getting at in Psalm 148, is all you have to do is go outside and take a look around. And you have to acknowledge that this didn't happen just by accident. That creation came about because there is a creator, and creation is intricately designed because there is a designer. And all of this should cause us to recognize that there is something beyond ourselves. Psalm 148 and Romans 1 often are arguments for this idea called general revelation. Revelation, not the book, okay? We're not talking about the book of Revelation today. But revelation as the idea of revealing. And when we say about general revelation, what we mean is this, is that God's revelation of Himself to all people at all times in all places. 
Doesn't matter when you were born, doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is, God has revealed himself to all of us because of his creation. To all of us. John Calvin, the reformer, says this about creation. Listen to his words. It's so beautiful. Wherever you cast your eyes, there is no spot in the universe wherein you cannot discern at least some sparks of his glory. You cannot in one glance survey this most vast and beautiful system of the universe in its wide expanse without being completely overwhelmed by the boundless force of the brightness. What Calvin is saying is, listen, you can look at things and you can doubt a lot, but if you just look around a little bit, you see sparks of his glory. You see glimpses of him in creation. What I think the psalmist is getting at in Psalm 148 is that the heavens can't help but praise the Lord. I don't know if you remember in the Gospels when uh, Jesus is talking and he's teaching and he says, listen, if no one else praises me, even the rocks will cry out. Now, I don't know about you, but geology in my mind is one of the most boring sciences in all of science. Even the rocks will cry out because the Lord deserves praise. Verse 7, there is a shift in this whole passage. It is in verses 1 through 6, the heavens praising the Lord. In verse 7 through 14, it is the earth that praises the Lord. If you go back and you look, what on earth praises the Lord? He begins, he says, sea creatures will praise the Lord. Fire, hail, snow, mist, wind will praise the Lord. The mountains and the hills will praise the Lord. Trees and the forest will praise the Lord. All animals will praise the Lord. And notice something in verse 11. In verse 11, there is a shift in what on earth praises the Lord because everything culminates with us. Everything on earth that praises the Lord comes to this peak with humanity. Where does worship culminate? It culminates with us. Again, look at verse 12 and 13. I'm sorry, verses 11, uh, starting in verse 11. Kings of the earth, and all princes, and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. The psalmist is getting to the point where he's saying, listen, all of creation is praising the Lord, and if all of creation is praising the Lord, then perhaps you and I, we, should be praising the Lord as well. Worship culminates with humanity because creation culminates with humanity. Go back, Genesis chapter 1. The pinnacle of creation is not the birds, it's not the reptiles, it's not the land, it's not the sun, it's not the stars, it's us. Humanity created in the image of God. Creation culminates with humanity because we're the only creatures created in the image of God. And what that means is that there is something within each one of us 
that has value and dignity and worth. Why? Simply because God said so. And part of the reason that we were created with this kind of worth and value is because we were created by God to mirror God. That when we all look at one another, going back again to that design element, right? When we all look at one another, we should say, well, surely there has to be a creator. Surely there has to be someone greater than us beyond us. And what all of this in Psalm 148 teaches us, if, we, if creation culminates with humanity and worship culminates with humanity, it's all because we're created in the image of God, what it gets us to is that we were all ultimately created to worship. Like If you wanted to boil down your job description as a human being, you could simply say that you are a worshiper. Every person... I don't care what your job is, I don't care what your education is, I don't care where you're from, you were created to worship. That is your sole focus in life. Listen to how the Dutch reformer Herman Bavink says, he says it like this, he says, the revelation of God in all the works of his hands would be quite unknowable to man. Like We would have no idea about any of these things if God had not planted in his soul an inerasable sense of his existence and being. He's getting at the the image of God, the Imago Dei, that God has implanted this in us. And because we have it within us, we know that there's something beyond us, and we know that we were created for something more than just pursuing what we want to pursue. That we know we were created ultimately to worship the one true God. Now here's the danger. We have to ask ourselves this question, where does worship gravitate? Because I think we would be honest if we're honest with ourselves and if we're honest just looking out at our world, that yes, all of us were created to worship, but not all of us worship the right thing. Again, going back to Romans 1, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. And this is just literally piggybacking up, piggybacking up where we left off in verse 21. For although they knew God, because God had done what? He had revealed Himself. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They did not what? Worship Him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged, listen to this, the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. See, what Paul is getting at is that we were created to worship. And we know that because of what God has revealed about himself to us. But what we pursue instead is the creation 
rather than the Creator. Now, chances are, none of us in this room go home on the weekends and bow down to like wood or metal objects, right? Unless you call that your TV or your car or, oh, right? We all have stuff that we bow down to. You might not physically bow down, but it's the amount of time, it's the amount of energy, it's the amount of money with which you pursue those things. So regardless of whether or not you craft your own idols, all of us wrestle with this idolatry, the fact that we were created to worship and yet we worship the wrong things. Our worship is like a car in need of alignment. Anybody need a new alignment? If you live in New Orleans for any amount of time and you hit, uh, I'm sorry, you just drive on the road, right? You're going to need an alignment. I don't know if, you've, if, if you don't know that you need an alignment, just let your steering wheel go and see which direction you go. If your car, and you let go of your steering wheel and your car can go straight, you don't need an alignment. But if you let go of your steering wheel and your car begins to drift right or drift left, guess what? You're in need of an alignment. And there are times in life as followers of Jesus and worshipers of God when we are in need of an alignment. And maybe before you get the alignment, you have to grab the steering wheel and turn it a little bit so you can begin to drive in a straight path. Our worship is the same way. Our worship can gravitate. It can pull toward idolatry, but it does not have to. That's the incredibly good news about Jesus. See, when we talk about the gospel, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. When we talk about the gospel, what we often talk about is this reality, which is true, that without Jesus... We are lost, separated from God, and ultimately headed to an eternal destination without Him. That's hell. And that when we find Jesus, or better yet, when Jesus finds us and saves us, we're reconciled to God and we are able to spend eternity with Him. All of that is true. There is not a part of that that is false. But here's the greater truth about all of that. We were created to worship God. It's only Jesus who can give us an alignment and reorient our worship to the true one. And we can talk about eternity and we can talk about heaven and hell, but here's what I want you to understand. I believe that God wants your best, not just in the eternal, but now. And the danger for you and I is this. We think we can live our lives however we want. We think that, hey, if we go this direction, and this is the direction we want to live, we'll be happy when all along God is saying, listen, I created you to worship me. And listen, whenever you use something, whether it's a tool or a thing, you get the best use of that tool when you use it for what it's created for, right? So what makes you think you're going to find joy anywhere else but in worshiping the Lord? 
What the gospel does is the gospel reminds us that Jesus, yes, did come to earth perfect. God himself put on flesh, died on the cross, rose from the grave, yes, to defeat our sins and reconcile us to God. And yes, take us and give us life in God in heaven. That is true. But in reconciling us to God, he also realigned and reoriented our worship on the right person, on the right one. And in turn, when you and I, when we worship the right one, guess what? The things that we're searching for and worshiping all of the wrong stuff, we actually get. The hope that you're looking for, you're only going to find it when you worship God. The peace that you so long for, you're only going to find it when you worship God. The joy that you're looking for, you're only going to find it when you worship God. Psalmist, that's what he's getting at in Psalm 148. Not just the heavens, not just the earth, but we, we were created to worship the Lord. And what Jesus does for us is He changes everything about worship. He transforms worship. In John chapter 4, verses 23-24, through 24, He's there at the well with the Samaritan woman. And they're talking about worship, and, and the Samaritan woman is thinking on, in very earthly terms, right? In very physical terms. Well, you worship in Jerusalem, but we worship here. You worship according to your customs, and we worship according to our customs. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, the hour is coming and is now here. Why is it here? Because Jesus has come. Jesus is here. When the true worshipers will worship who? This is important. Who are they going to worship? Who will the true worshipers worship? The Father. Where we worship, who we worship matters. Jesus himself says that. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Here's the incredible thing about this passage. And this is, I think, what Jesus is bringing us to understand. We worship who? The Father. We worship the Lord. How do we worship Him? In spirit? Who is the Spirit? The Holy Spirit. He is God. We worship God, our Father, in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, we worship in spirit and in truth. Who is the truth? Jesus Christ. When we look out at all of creation, we recognize that there is this need within us. There is something that pulls us to wonder. And what Jesus is doing is he's trying to reorient all of our worship to say, you're right. We will worship the Father. But the only way that you're going to be able to truly worship the Father is by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is God, and in the truth that is me. Which again takes us back to the truth of the gospel and what Jesus did on our behalf and what he accomplished on our behalf here's what i want you to see 
We were created to worship exclusively. This is our calling in life and at the same time, what we worship is exclusive. You don't get a choice. Worship is not a smorgasbord where God says, pick what you want. God says, you worship me and me alone. Anytime I think about worship, anytime I think about wonder, anytime I think about creation, I think about the birth of my kids. I know. It's kind of a traumatic experience, right? I won't bore you with the details, right? No pictures. But I think about the birth of my two kids. Gabe is 10, Emmeline is 7. And I remember vividly both of their births, being there and seeing Rachel like work her tail off, right, for these two kids. And just, I'm, I'm the kind of, I watch the whole thing, right? I'm like, I know, I got to see this. I got to see what's going on. And the whole time, I'm just, I know, this is visual, right? Very visual. And I'm just amazed, At how two little people could begin with two very basic cells that come together to literally form a human being. And to watch that human being over a nine-month period grow and get organs and begin to, you know, suck their thumb. Or when, you know, when, it, when you're like nine months pregnant and you begin to see like feet and hands, like, wow, this is like alien kind of stuff, right? And then to watch both of my children enter the world. In both of those moments, I literally stood there amazed in wonder of our Creator God. Anybody ever talks to me about why they just don't believe that God could exist? Literally, I want to talk to them about the birth of my kids. I'm like, I don't know how all of that is an accident. God did something miraculous in creating. And here's the, cre- the incredible truth for you and I is that just as the psalmist tells us in Psalm 148, we are all a part of creation. Not only do we get to look out and see that this is God's creation, but we are a part of it. And as we reflect on the reality that we are a part of creation, the question that we should ask ourselves, yes, this week, but literally every day and every moment, is how will we join in creation this week to praise the Lord? You might not be praising the Lord, but all of heaven And all of earth is. And you have the ability to say yes or to say no, to join in on creation, worshiping and praising 
the Lord. And what the psalmist reminds us of is that this is the very task that we were created for. We were created to worship. So this week, how will you level up your wonder? Maybe there's some things in your life right now that are distracting you. And they're not unimportant things. But it's causing you to not look up and open your eyes and open your ears to see all of creation around you. My prayer for you this week is that you would open your eyes and you would open your ears and you would see what God is doing around you and you would join in in praising Him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You, Father, that You love us. God, that you have not only created us, but you have uniquely designed us to worship and praise you. Help us, God, in this moment and help us throughout this week to join in all of creation to worship you. We love you. We thank you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.